Even in school, like we would switch classes pretty often. And I just remember always taking her like English and history tests and exams and she would take my like math and science-y stuff. Wait, so you <laughs> so show roles. up to each other's exams? We, we delegate. Or in science, for example, like the more, like I would do biology and she would like do chemistry. And you got away with it? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, we got away with it. <laughs> no one ever found out. No, no. one found out. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every single one of you that come back every week to listen, learn, and grow. Now, I love it when I get to sit down with people that have had conversations offline before, put it on the podcast, record it, and share it with each and every one of you. Today's guests are two people that I am fascinated by. I'm curious to learn more about them today. I admire them for how they show up in the world, the energy they carry, and how they make me and my wife feel whenever we're around them. We got introduced to them by our dear friend Raquel, who also happens to be in the room, uh, who'll be on the podcast very, very soon as well. Uh, but I'm so grateful that she's in the room because she's the one who connected us. Today's guests are fashion duo, DJ duo, Simi and Hayes. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. This is really rare because we never do interviews. <laughs> yeah, people are always like, we've never heard your voices. So yeah, we rarely is. like even talk on our Instagram stories or anything. But we trust you and we love you. So here we are. <laughs> I feel honored hear hearing that. And my team said the same thing to me. They were like, we're trying to find interviews with them on it and yeah. Like, yeah. researching and you know what they like. And I was like, yeah, but that's why I want to sit down with you. Because like I said, when Raquel introduced us and we've had a couple of dinners here and there, and we've always had like these deep reflective conversations and you both have such a wonderful warmth and positive energy about you. And then I was like, they do have voices. They have wonderful <laughs> opinions. They have great ideas. And I, I love hearing that. Why, why don't you do interviews? Let's start there. What, is, what has stopped you over the years from doing interviews? We're just very selective about who we talk to, especially if it's, you know, live like this. I, we've I, also done like a lot of, magazine interview stuff where like a lot of stuff has been taken out of context. Yeah, people love to frame us in this specific way. And um, I think less is more sometimes because yeah. I'd also sometimes rather have the people who are closest to me and the people who really know us know how we really are and not really focus on outside opinions or something we said being taken out of context. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Hayes, do you want to tell me what you just told me before the podcast? Because <laughs> then everyone can have the disclaimer because I was I was laughing. <laughs> I was cracking up when you told me this and I feel like everyone needs to know this. I basically said Simi is like the spokesperson of the twins. Yeah, so she does more of the talking between us. When did that decision get made? It just happened kind of naturally. I feel like even in school, like we would switch classes pretty often, especially because we had the same subjects but we didn't have the same classes and I just remember always taking her like English and history tests and exams and she would take my like math and science-y stuff. Wait so, so you show roles. up to each other's exams? We, we delegate or in science for example like the more I would do biology and she would like do chemistry so it's like there's, you know, there's like a left brain, right brain kind of delegation that we have between each other that comes really naturally. <laughs> and you got away with it? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, we got away. <laughs> no one ever found out. No, no. one found out. And I feel we like kind of started doing it because we just thought like, why not? We could do this, so why not try? And then we, it, we just kept getting away with it. Yeah. And we kept going with it. 
Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. Well, one of the things that, you know, you both of you are Palestinian uh, and we've spoken about that offline as well when we've been connecting. I want to hear about your story, your journey, your background, the growth, because like you said, I don't think many people know. And when we don't know, we start putting people in boxes and we make decisions. What do you think are some of the framing that you have, but what, who are you? I want to know about that difference between how you think sometimes people may frame you, but then how you frame yourself. I would say I'm just very curious and interested in learning. Like I'm really big on self-improvement and self-development. I always feel like I don't know anything. So with that mindset, I feel like I can, you know, every day learn something new because there's so much opportunity in every day to learn stuff from anyone and from any experience, any book that I pick up. Like I think investing in yourself is such a huge thing. And I think that's a value that we've been taught since we were kids. Like my mom is always like, learn an instrument, pick up a book, do this. Like we were like in so many clubs in in high school and middle school. We were like on every sports team and we still maintained a 4.2 GPA. <laughs> so it's so crazy because we actually graduated with the exact same GPA, but Even didn't get had, the yeah, same grades. What? How do you do that? Yeah, it just oh, added up to be the same. Yeah, it just added Very up. strange. But um, yeah, I would say we were pretty much nerds in school. And I don't, I definitely don't think that's how we're portrayed in, <laughs> in the media. I think people really like to portray us as these like fashion twins who are super privileged. And of course we are privileged. I'm never like, you know, going to say otherwise. And I'm obviously really grateful and feel really lucky to be in this position. But I don't think that is enough. I think it's just people like to see us as that. And that's just how it is sometimes in the media. Yeah. Hey, so how do you describe yourself? Pretty much the same as what Simi said. Mm -hmm. People only get a small glimpse of us, so they don't really get the full picture, which isn't their, like we said, we barely do any interviews or anything. So that's what they see on the surface. But like, obviously there's way more. We're like involved in so many different projects, involved in so many different things, like are very eager learners and a 4.2 GPA is like ridiculously good, right? So that's, <laughs> yeah. that's like, you have to be super smart to get a 4.2 GPA, <laughs> right? Tell, tell me a bit about your parents because you, you said there, and I love what you said, like, you know, just, I think today we have lots of conversations about privilege and often it's, it's something that, you know, gets looked down upon, but obviously your parents worked really, really hard or your grandparents and your great grandparents. Like that's how I, my mom was born in Yemen and moved to London when she was 16. And they moved there with nothing and, and built a life and then gave me opportunities that they didn't have. Tell us a bit about your parents. I want to hear a bit about your mother and father. I know you post a lot. You have family trips. Like I want to know about a bit more about their journey and maybe about their story that you'd be comfortable sharing with us about how they got to where they got to. My mom, she has a shop. I mean, it started off as a shop in um, Saudi Arabia and she started off as a buyer and we started going to fashion week with her at the time just to buy for her store. And then the shop expanded and it became much bigger than I think she anticipated because bringing a high-end designers to the Middle East to that region was really new. And um, Hayes and I were sort of trained in showrooms with the designers to create new collections for the region based off of the collections that were already shown on the runway in Paris. The reason why my mom would like step in with the designs is like the body types in the Middle East are obviously very different to 
what you would buy for like America or any other region or just, you know, the models on the runway. So it was, we were really focused on proportions, shapes, textures, what is flattering to the body, what's just all those things that helped us develop an eye for like functionality. And, um, and how old were you when you go to... We were like, I think we first started going when we were 14 15, or okay. something. Yeah. yeah, and I think that really helped us, even where we are today, it's like a study, like we've been studying this since we were 14. And um, we started doing our own buying appointments and, you know, doing, being in showrooms alone, we were like 15, 16. And um, it was awesome that she trusted us, but I guess we did a good job. <laughs> so she actually trusted you to like... To come do up the with ideas yeah. the- and to come up with ideas on how to make something more flattering to a body type that's not like a model body type. Yeah, and my parents have, are amazing. They've been together for 30 years. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's amazing to see how in a relationship that is lasting, you have to keep choosing each other and keep healing and doing the work. And I've seen my parents change, you know, from when we were kids to now, they're just such different people. And that's aspirational. I I mean, I I really hope that one day I can have that in a partner too. Yeah. That's amazing. I love hearing that. And it's, it's amazing to see how, you know, a lot of people don't want to go on and grow older and do what their parents do, but both of you became so passionate about something that your mother was passionate about. And I love what you said that we've been studying this for such a long time, because I think when people think about fashion and, and, you know, I think anyone who ever sees you guys, whether it's online or when I've seen you at events or whatever it may be, the way you guys dress and your fashion, everything is just, you're like, wow, that's so unique. Like I've never seen that before. And I think that, you know, me and Radhi always feel that way. When we see you guys, we're like, Wow, like oh. you know, like that's it. We literally go home going like, what? Like it's so unpredictable, it's so unique. And so when you say you've studied something, I think fashion often people who don't necessarily can't, can't appreciate it may be like, oh, but it's just clothes or it's just colors. And it's like, but actually when you see someone invent something new or someone who creates something that's very rare, you then start looking at it and saying, Oh, th- there's a real art and a skill to that. Tell us about how that art and skill developed independently and collectively between you both. Because how, would you describe y- you both as having a similar sense of taste and style? Or would you say you actually have a very different? How would you describe it? I, I think feel we like have, have very similar yeah, taste. very similar yeah. taste. I think it's inevitable with, you know, just our experiences and developing the vocabulary that we have just in terms of like taste and how we see things. I think it developed into a sensibility that we now just comes natural to us. And I think that we do have very similar tastes. Yeah, I think we also have similar tastes because as we like developed our eye, like it was through also conversations. So like she would talk me into things, I would talk her out of things and vice versa. So like we ended up kind of with the same. In middle ground, middle ground. Yeah. And sometimes we'll wear something that's too similar. Like I'll put something on and then she'll put something on, but we didn't get dressed together. And we'll be like, oh, no, no, no. We have to change because yeah, we don't, don't want to attract too, too much attention <laughs> and do the whole twin thing. Like we never really did the whole dress. Your mom and dad never made you do that. that well, we were we've kids done it like, before. Yeah. And I think walking down the street together is just attracts like too much attention when you're twins. To just yeah. yeah. I mean, we've wearing. done it in like shoots and stuff, but like. 
It just stays there. Yeah. But you're saying that sometimes you're both getting ready for an event and you'll come out. Oh, yeah. Wearing the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, right. And right. We ha- one of us has to change because... Collective consciousness. Yeah. But it's very, it's in very close quarters. Do you both feel that? I mean, we've talked, we've all talked about spirituality and consciousness before. Do you guys feel that with your connection? Like, is there a conscious twin connection that you guys experience and feel? And tell me about where you experience it the most independently and collectively. I feel like because we spend so much time to, time together and because we work together and we have like mostly the same friends, we inevitably have like, I know what she's thinking. She knows what I'm thinking. So in that sense, I would say we do have that like collective consciousness. There's like trippy moments that happen being a twin. Like I feel like only twins will understand this where I'll walk into a room and Hayes will be there. And for like a split second, I know this sounds crazy. But for a split second, I'll be like, wait, what am I doing there? <laughs> wow. Then, yeah, and then I'll lot. just come back into like real life. But it, it's like a really nuanced thing that happens in very small moments. And I think that's, I don't know, I feel like it's a magic power. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could experience that. And I, I always tell Radhi, I'm like, I really want twins. Like that's, that's what I want. We don't have twins on either side of the family. So I don't know how likely it is. Because they always have each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really special because, you know, even in like our friendships and like in relationships and stuff, like we don't look for companionship. That's not something that's like crucial to us. Like we don't need to have just companionship. We look for other values because obviously we have each other. Yeah. So I think that we're really lucky that we have that experience because even moving schools and things like that growing up, we never had. Yeah, it was never scary. Like I yeah. always hear, like my friends, like moving schools, like was always like a big thing for them. But for us, we were like excited because like we had each other. So that's we I like, love it. <laughs> that's so beautiful. How many schools did you guys go to when you were young? Like it sounds like you moved around a lot. We were born in Saudi Arabia, so we went to a, probably two schools there when we were little, and then we moved to London and we went to one school there. It was an all-girls school, and then in high school we were in Dubai and we went to two schools there. That's a, um, that's a fair few schools. Yeah, and then we came yeah. to LA and went to college here. So, Hayes, what about you? Did you? Uh, I'm not going to put you on the spot again. It's the same question. I was, I was wondering if did you always know this is what you wanted to be? This is what you wanted to do, or has it been more of a natural, organic evolution? Was there anything else? It definitely happened quite naturally. I feel like I always knew I was going to end up in a creative field. Like even with music, uh, we didn't know we were going to end up in music at all. We were actually studying film. And then our friend group was so immersed in music that we just kind of stumbled into it. And that's how we became DJs. We're kind of lucky that it kind of happened quite naturally for us. I love that. And then where did where did music and fashion collide? Or, or where did those two worlds become so important to you? When did you both feel like this is something, not only are we going to do this, but we're going to do this together. And that where was the beginning of that journey? Well, fashion has just always been a part of our DNA with our mom and, you know, just growing up in fashion and going to fashion week since we were kids. I think that it was just already in place for us. And then music, well, we studied fine art and film production in college. And then as Hayes was saying, we were just, we were in the studio a lot with our friends who are musicians. And we just sort of started DJing our friends' parties just on the low, just because we loved music and we loved playing music. And we loved doing transitions. We were really interested in transitions, like from, you know, song to song. And I think that there's like an artistry in that. And also, you know, reading the room as a DJ, it's like 
you have to be really good at energy and like feeling people's energy, especially if it's a smaller event, because we did start doing smaller events. In the beginning, we were just like asked to do a favor for a friend at like a party at Coachella. And then we were approached by a bunch of managers to- Is that how it started? To, oh. yeah, to manage. Yeah, we were always kind of skeptical about being DJs. We we had a lot of DJ friends that we respected so much that we weren't, we didn't want to be like, oh, we're just going to come and be Yeah, DJs. we didn't want to be like the it girl fashion DJs. And so we were, because we were so like already in fashion, we were going to fashion week, we didn't want to just like go that direction. I don't know why we like, we kind of pushed it away a yeah, lot. Yeah, we resisted it a lot. But then we were like, whatever, we just like playing music. Let's just do this. And then we just started doing so many events around the world. And it took us, you know, DJing took us to places and helped us like meet a lot of interesting people. And I think that we never forced it. You know, it just sort of happened for us. And we because we were doing something that we found was really fun and that we loved. DJing, fashion, art music, everything just like informed each other. Yeah. And yeah. So S- Simeon Hayes founded Simi Hayes Beauty, which is super exciting. I-, I saw the launch and that's when I like messaged you guys. And I-, I was so excited for you because I think creating something with someone you love is is such a special offering into the world and you getting everyone else to have an opportunity to be a part of that world. Tell us about why you created Simi Hayes Beauty. What was the intention behind it? What was the essence of it? And what are you excited about sharing it with people? Simeon's beauty came out of our need to create something that didn't exist. So we we didn't want to create a beauty line for the sake of slapping our names on a product and selling something that's been out already. It's been in the making for three years. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah, yeah and it's, you know, it, it's been such a long process. Like the, our first product is this product called Velvet Blur, and it's a matte lip balm, which anyone in the beauty industry would be like, that's impossible. How can you make a matte lipstick that's also moisturizing? Because the formulations, it's like really challenging to create that sort of texture and still achieve that effect. But... Um, that's why it took so long because we realized that that's what's missing in the market. Something that you could just do with one swipe and it feels like a lip balm. It's really comfortable, but it um, has the effect of a matte lipstick. Yeah, we also just wanted that for our like personal use. Like we would go into like these beauty stores and pick out like the same shade and like all these different brands. And there was like one thing we liked in that one and one thing we liked in that one, but like there was nothing that was like combined and that specific lipstick is like an amalgamation of the perfect things in all the beauty products, all the lipsticks that we tried. Yeah. And then there's like this amazing sun flush formula that we also created that that just gives you like a healthy flush. I think it's also the brand came out of, you know, what we're saying is there was stuff that's missing from the market that we wanted to create that would make our lives easier. And that's what we want to do. We want to just facilitate an easier lifestyle for people. We don't want people to take 10 hours doing their makeup. We want people to have reliable, very high quality, efficient products. And we're going to do the research to make sure you have that product in your hand and that it looks beautiful and that you're proud of it and that you want to put it on your counter, you know, and have it be this like full sensory experience from like holding the packaging to putting it on. And I think that the reviews have been so exciting to see because that's exactly what people are saying. Yeah. Congratulations, by the way. I, I read those you. and I was reading, uh, I was reading some of the articles where 
people were saying like just how easy it is and how accessible you've made makeup. And I, I think that that's fascinating in an industry which, like you're saying, a lot of the time you could spend hours uh, in front of the mirror trying to look a certain way and then you don't feel happy with yourself and it, it hasn't been made easy. Like, But you've created something that is accessible, that is easy, that's shareable, that people can, uh, like you said, I love the idea of what you described as the sensory experience from the moment they open it to the moment they put it on. Was there something about the process that surprised you, like in actually creating makeup, like going from actually wearing makeup and using other people's makeup, but the process of creating it, was there anything that was interesting or challenging or unique about the process for someone who's like, maybe someone's listening, they're like, oh, I'd love to create makeup one day. Or someone's sitting there going like, oh, I, you know, I've never understood. Was there something that was hard or difficult about it? Like how many times yeah, did you have that to- Yeah, everything affects everything. So let's say there's like a powder and the more you compress the powder, the less pigmented it's going to be. But then you want pigment. So if you put it in a packaging and then it all falls out, that's not going to work. So there's like, it's a Rubik's cube. Yeah, like you can't, you can't use the same packaging for like all the same formulas. Like right. there yeah, were like some moments some, where we wanted to, to have- do a concealer in a pump, but they were like, oh no, this formula only works in this sort of tube. And it's how, you know, every, all these elements work together to deliver like a certain effect and you can't do whatever you want. It's sort of like a trial and error. There's like a lot of challenges within creating a specific product and it's definitely a chemistry. And I think yeah. that it's important to work with people who really love what they're doing yeah. and who really believe in your product because Hayes and I are always pushing for innovation. And Simi Hayes Beauty is here for, to be that bridge to what beauty is going to be. And yeah, we, we definitely pushed the lab to create products that didn't exist before. And having it be successful, having a product that actually works is, you know, further impetus to create more innovation. So are you doing all the testing and innovation out in Milan or is that one of the places or is that the place you're sourcing. That's where, no, that's where we do like all the testing. Why, why did you choose Milan? Like apart from the obvious reasons, but was there something that drew you there when you said you wanted to create it with people who actually love what they're doing? Is well, that... Milan has, well, it's, it's not really in Milan. It's kind, kind of, of yeah, out in the country. It's like an hour. Oh, wow. okay. Yeah. There's like four labs that are like the biggest labs in the world that create the best makeup in the world for oh, like wow. all different brands for the highest end brands and so we visited over the three years every single makeup lab that you can imagine <laughs> and it's amazing i Bradley and i just launched our tea company mm -hmm. uh sama which is our herbal and hot tea company oh my god i need to get you some i need to get you some yeah i love that you we love even tea. got you mugs for this i know which is which is <laughs> i didn't tell it yeah which is perfect like which i can't wait to open them like we subconsciously knew Yes, somehow, that is actually true. <laughs> That's like, crazy. People who appreciate tea, like I have a special bond and connection. Oh, we love <laughs> have that. a special okay. place in our heart. Yeah, but when you love to give us real feedback uh, when, when we give them to you. But oh, amazing. We, we, you know, we've just been through that whole process as well of like sourcing the tea leaves and the ingredients. And obviously a lot of our ingredients. Where do you source is, them? Uh, India. So a lot of oh. our like root herbs in each of the teas is from India. And we've used these adaptogens and specific herbs with de-stressing qualities and calming Amazing. And qualities. And Radhi's obviously the expert, all of that stuff. So we've been trying to find them and, you know, we've just been through that process. So I know, even though it's not makeup, it's like, there's a, there's a similarity in the idea of 
again, what you said, like finding people who actually love what they do. Like we found people who we consider potion masters. We're like, this person like literally is like a food scientist and knows how, to, and Riley knows which flavors to blend, but then having someone who can help us blend them effectively yeah. has been such a fun process. Yeah, yeah, who you trust. Yeah. From across the world. Yeah, exactly, exactly, right? You like have to. Yeah, we can't be there every oh single Oh my God, I'm so excited to try. I can't wait to share it with Me you. Too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm sure Riley's excited to try the makeup too. Yeah. So it's going to be a, a good, and I'm sure you'll figure out something for me to try too. So. <laughs> the lip yeah. balm sounds great. Like a lip balm sounds great. I definitely well, need one of those. That's also that's in the works, up, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that sounds awesome. Tell me about, you mentioned this before, I want to go backwards. Both of you have talked today about like how you love learning and you're curious and you're always trying your best in whatever it way is to be to be open to stuff. I want to know what's something recently that you've both been trying to learn more about this year or in the last 12 months or even recently, like what's been something that you think has been sparking your curiosity individually? Like what's what's been that thing that's been like, oh, I want to learn a bit more about that this year? I'm just going to go, I'm going to answer this question from like the last book I read. Totally. Yeah, I love <laughs> yeah tell us. Because I, awesome. I read a lot of books and they're all on different topics. Like I, I, I just reread the four agreements and then at the love same time book. was reading On Palestine, the Noam Chomsky, Elon Pape book, this incredible physicist, Carlos Rovelli. And he is amazing because he talks about physics from a very poetic perspective and I'm really into allegories, um, especially in topics that are as complex as physics. And he makes it so easy to understand because, you know, physics is like from like the smallest atom, how things are created. And I'm really interested in creation. Yeah, I think reading books on like different subjects helps my mind kind of put things together. I always remember when Steve Jobs said, creativity is just connecting things. In the beginning, I was like, I need to just focus on one book, you know, like I need to just do the one book. But I, I just like started embracing the fact that I'm, yeah, we like jumping around. <laughs> I, when yeah. I just jump around a lot from book to book. And I think it informs my intellect in a more creative way. But yeah, On Palestine is like a really important book on the subject. And I also read this amazing book called The Way of the Spring by Ben Ehrenreich that is about the situation in Palestine, but mostly through anecdotes with people who live there, like Palestinians who live in the West Bank. I love both those books on the subject. So if you're looking to learn more, but I'm a big Noam Chomsky fan. Yeah. Linguistics hero. And I think something that's really important that he brings up in that book is how the language used around Palestine and the situation in Palestine has perpetuated the cycle of ineffective debate that, you know, using terms like the peace process or negotiations or both sides, words like that or expressions like that, they perpetuate this loop of what Elon Pape calls a conceptual paralysis. And it's a really ineffective way of um, talking about the situation, you know, terms like decolonization, regime change, apartheid, ethnic cleansing, those are the terms that are conducive to real change. And I think it's so exciting to see that finally the world is waking up and using those terminologies to talk about the situation in Palestine. Yeah, that's such a great answer. I love that. I'm glad I love getting book recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> and so you've you've given us a ton of great ones there. 
Uh, Don Miguel Ruiz is actually coming on the podcast soon too. From oh the my God. Around. So I need the, to be here in the, the audience. Wow. Yeah, we'll figure that, we'll figure that out. We'll, I'll, I'll let you guys know. But, um, but also like when, you know, obviously when, why is learning about or your heritage been so important to you and also sharing about it too? And, you know, I know that when we connected, both of you shared so wonderfully and also just you're both so curated and elegant with your words as well when you're writing about something like, you're not, you're not being cautious or you're not being careful. You're just being thoughtful. And so tell me about why it's been so interesting for both of you to learn about your heritage and to learn about what's happening and, and uh, how has that informed some of the work you've been doing? Being Middle Eastern is inextricable to how we are and how we see the world. And, you know, anybody who's come across Middle Eastern culture, you know, it's a hotbed of literature, art, architecture, mysticism, you know, there's a lot of incredible values, generosity, understanding, loyalty, like those values are just paradigmatic of Arab culture, wherever you find it in the world. And um, learning about our culture and I think even talking on Palestine on our platform, I feel lucky because we are Palestinians. So in some ways we have carte blanche to, to talk about it. And people are not going to criticize us the way that they would criticize somebody who's not Palestinian. But I think we do have a responsibility to highlight to people that, you know, the situation in Palestine isn't a new situation. It's a story of, it's not a new story. Like it's a story of colonialism and dispossession. And it's happened in history over and over and over again. You know, European settlers coming to a foreign land, expelling or committing genocide against the indigenous people. But when you talk about it in terms of Palestine, they make it seem this like, like this crazy multifaceted complex issue and anything that any criticism against it is castigated as anti-Semitic. And I think that's where a lot of the, the tension comes in. It's like anything you say is going to be labeled anti-Semitic, but that's what the mainstream media wants you to believe because they, you know, the whole function of the media is to control your focus. And, you know, they don't want you to be concerned over the lives of ordinary people. They want you to be, you, they want you to focus on whether this person is anti-Semitic. And that's like the crucial value of the media. And I think engaging in a little bit of critical thinking takes you out of that sheep kind of like audience that are sort of passive participants in the media, which Walter Lippmann calls the bewildered herd. I love that term. <laughs> but yeah, all it takes is a little bit of critical thinking and looking at the Jewish scholars, like I always tell my Jewish friends, like I've had so many conversations with them about Palestine. And I always say, listen to your scholars. They're some of my favorites, you know, Noam Chomsky, Norman Finkelstein, um, Yuri Davis, Gabor Mate, Stephen Saleda. There's so many amazing Jewish scholars who speak on the situation in Palestine. And they will sort of show you that the indoctrination that a lot of people have been through growing up, you know, seeing Palestine in a certain way, seeing Palestinians in a certain way, and yeah, teaching them to relearn and engage in the critical thinking requires to see the world as it is. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's, <laughs> Sorry, that's no, that was really, that, you did not go off on a tangent at all. <laughs> so you're like, you've not gone off on any tangent. That's all very useful, well-explained, articulated information. So thank you for sharing that. And um, I just love, what I really appreciate about both of you and 
I see this obviously based on the, some of the conversations we've had, but also from following you guys, like there's just so much thought and research and reading and, and thinking happening behind the scenes that people may not be aware of. And I think if something that we can all learn is what you just rightly said is the skill of critical thinking and the skill of questioning without being judgmental, without having to put things in a box, without division. And I think often we think those skills come together. We think if you're a critical thinker, you have to be able to like divide and segregate. Whereas actually, if you're a critical thinker, you can actually find places for everything to make sense. And so I appreciate what you've just shared with us from the perspective of, hey guys, this is this is what we need to be thinking about. This is the kind of stuff we need to be questioning. Yeah, I think it does take a lot of international pressure to change the situation. And it's awesome to see that now, you know, there's like the BDS movement is really making a difference. There's like Israel Apartheid Week across campuses that started off in Canada and now is like the biggest sort of activist um, week. Campaign. Yeah, or, campaign. Yeah. Yeah. About on on the situation. And then there's a lot of infographics, there's reading, there's like just so much information. And when my friends come up to me and they, you know, they ask me about it, especially when it was happening like a couple months ago, it was really emotional for me to like even talk about because those kids that you see in the videos, they look like my cousins. Like it's just, it's heartbreaking. So you know, I was always encouraging my friends, like, I'll talk to you about it, but like, go online and do the research. It's right there. Mm -hmm. And I think it's hard to go and look at yourself and look at what you've learned and say, oh, maybe I wasn't taught what the truth is. And I've, I've had direct experiences with this. Like I w went to USC and studied film, but one of my elective classes was Middle Eastern studies. And I remember my professor was Canadian. She studied Middle Eastern studies her whole life. She has a PhD. There was like a quiz happening that day. And I remember like we were talking about Israel-Palestine and one of my classmates was like, raise her hand. She was like, oh, well, what if I don't believe that this is what happened? If, will I get the question wrong? And my teacher was like, that's what happened. That's history. Wow. You know, like that interaction was just so emblematic of the indoctrination that kids go through. Once you look at what's happening over there through a colonial perspective, you can no longer hide behind the claim of complexity or anti-Semitism or anything else. It is just is what it is. And it's a humanitarian crisis and we have a responsibility to affect change. And um, actually Hayes and I are doing something with the PCRF, Palestinian Children's Relief Fund. And- um, Please tell us about it, yeah. I wanna hear yeah, they're it. awesome. So every week we're gonna, or every two weeks, I think we decided, we're gonna do like a new project where well, the first one is PCRF does this incredible thing where they provide solar power for homes that have kids who are disabled who need electrical power to, well, electricity to power their medical equipment. And I don't know if you know, but like in Gaza, they only have a couple hours of electricity a day. And so they've been able to provide solar power for homes with children who need it. And I've seen the videos and it's just so incredible to see like the family being like, oh my God, like now my, I don't have to take my kids to the hospital every time the electricity turns off or like every time I need to blend food for my kid. Yeah. So yeah, just really awesome projects like that. So that's the first one we're going to do like a fundraising campaign That's amazing. For. When's that happening? I think next week. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Incredible. Tell us the date roughly. This is 
Next week, meaning, okay, so it will so have done by the time we get the episode out. Yeah, yeah, by yeah, the time the episode's right. out, it'll be, it'll be out, but we're going to keep doing this project. Yeah, we'll that. put the link to the charity in, in the podcast episode as well. So anyone who's listening, even though the event may, or the fundraiser may have already been taking place, you can still donate. Yeah, it's it's really cool to be able to to help in any way. And when people, you know, say like, oh, like influ- you're an influencer, you're this or that, it's like, I don't even get offended by that term because you know, there's a deeper function within the term influencer and that's that you have a voice and that people will listen to you. Mm -hmm. And doing projects like this, it shows kind of like how we can actually affect change and be active voices in our community. Yeah. Well, I thank you both for using your platform in that way. It's, you know, it's always, it's so wonderful to be around purposeful individuals and have purposeful friends doing things that are meaningful to them and serving and helping, especially when it comes to children. I feel like, Children's one thing that I hope that no one in the world can disagree on that, you know, requires nurturing, requires love, requires the basic necessities It's just of basic life. necessities. Yeah, basic it's necessities. It's crazy because yeah. actually in that Ben Ehrenreich book, The Way of the Spring, something that really like caught me off guard was there was this character in the book that just kept getting charged for no reason and being put in jail for no reason. And um, he came out of jail and he was asked like, oh, so do you miss anything about your experience in prison, like as a joke. And he was like, actually prison's sole virtue was the water pressure. Like I could take a good shower. Yeah, And it's just crazy how something so basic as taking a shower is impossible in the West Bank and in Gaza. Yeah, because they only really have 20% access of the mountain aquifer that's literally in Gaza. So yeah, basic necessities. I mean, it's incredible how... Yeah, how many people don't have yeah. devices? Yeah. Something that I think would be really interesting to people, because you guys are mysterious to a lot of people, and something that I've been able to observe as a friend is everybody. Like I'm, I, I mean, I couldn't meet. I could name fifty people from artists to fashion designers, etc., who look to them for their taste, for their input, for so many things. And I think a lot of that is because to your Palestinian ethnicity born in Saudi Arabia, you lived in London, Dubai, LA. And I think living in all of these different places, um, it's really made you very worldly and able to connect with so many different types of people and being exposed to so many different cultures. It's actually, I think, what's given you such impeccable taste, not just visually, but also internally Mm. as well, in that you really are able to you're really able to um, (laughs) see people and we're such a global community now so many people still live in a bubble and it's it's i don't even mean that in a mean way but i'm saying that there's something so beautiful and i think even your curiosity and wanting to learn more and and do so many different projects from your beauty line to um stuff with refugees to music to everything it's because of your exposure to the world and not everybody you know, has the privilege of being able to live all over the world, but we have the internet now, we have our phones, people actually can learn about the world. And I think that that's something that is so important with so much happening. We, we read every day something new, something tragic or something positive or whatever. But I think that that's what has made you guys unique and kind of set you apart from a lot of even other influencers. But, as annoying as the word is, but it's something that sets you apart. So I don't necessarily know what that question would be, but it's just something that I've been able to observe 
as an outsider that people really look to you. And I think it's because of your exposure to the world. I love Thank that. you, Raquel. Oh my God. Uh, Raquel, our dear friend who introduced us, she's sitting here and she was sharing a really important reflection that I can't articulate quite as well as she did because it came from her heart. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. But I'm going to repeat what Raquel was saying that, and this is what I'm hoping that people are going to get from this episode. Like, I think that's the point. Like, I think what Raquel just said is what people are going to get from this conversation, that they're going to see two people that we get a very limited view on or ideas upon. But then today we've got to realize just how broad your experiences are, your life experience and life story are from Raquel was saying, you, you know, born in Saudi Arabia, you've uh, studied in London, in Dubai, in LA, you've had the experience of music, of fashion, of neuroscience, like who brings those three things together? And the reason why you're such tastemakers is because you're global citizens and you live with a global heart and it's not just the external expression of how artistic you are, but even your heart has been impacted by all these other stories, philosophies, and ideas that you've heard. And I'm, and I'm hoping that that does some justice, even that is not all of who you are, but I'm hoping that that does some justice into people understanding who you are. So I hope I did that justice, but I was trying. When you see the humanity in people, when you're in yeah. um, Palestine, when you're in, you know, on the ground, I'm sure even in, in Israel, or you're, you're wherever you are, you're in London, you're in Dubai, you're in you're not like you, we are all human beings. <laughs> We're all ultimately human beings. And that's what connects us is our, is our humanness ultimately. And so I just think your worldliness and I think it is what's made you guys into who you are today. I so. love that. Yeah. And I think you, Raquel, uh, just to expand on that a little bit. Thank you, Raquel. That's really sweet. I think having all these experiences and being so many places and meeting people of all different cultures, it's given us a heightened sense of empathy and compassion for being a human being and a sense of understanding that somebody who grew up in one place wouldn't have. Yeah. And, and obviously that's what Raquel's saying, like your experiences of being able to connect with so many different hearts and so many different minds, and you've lived across so many different places that you've you've got to experience a lot of different cultures. And, and that's what you were saying earlier, that you were like, well, some people would call that privileged, but actually you've turned your privilege into purpose and into service and connecting with people. Like, yes, like you said, you can be privileged that you got to travel, but traveling hasn't made you more eager to travel. It's made you more eager to love and serve and try and help people, mm -hmm. if that feels right. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, like it feels like- Really well, well put. Yeah, your, your experiences have just- they haven't made you more hungry to have more experiences and see more places. It's like, actually, it's helped us connect with each human that we meet and want them to feel a certain way. What have I not asked you or what have you not spoken about today that's on your heart, that's in your mind and you're both like, Jay, I have to share this today. I have to tell your community or, or if there is, and you may say, Jay, there's nothing you've asked us, but I want to make sure that because you're friends and people I care about, I want to make sure you feel you've had a chance to share your heart. I don't know. I feel like we talked about yeah, so like much. Good. Yeah. That makes yeah, me happy. Yeah, you really did a great job. That makes me happy. If, if you both feel happy with everything you've shared, and obviously you can listen to afterwards, but I mean, if you feel happy and satisfied with everything we've talked about, that makes me feel good because I just wanted everyone, and, I, and I'm grateful you trusted me, but I wanted everyone to just see just how intelligent, thoughtful, masterful you both are in so many ways. And uh, 
Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm I, honored to call you guys a friend, honestly, because it's likewise. Amazing. I mean, we're we're so honored to be on this podcast. I'm so honored to hear that from both of you because I also think the same of you that you know you're known for being incredible, like masters in music and in fashion and in taste, but you're using that platform for purposeful reasons. Like that to me is, it's the same trade, you know, like I'm trying to take, I'm I'm trying to take what I've learned from my teachers and I'm trying to share it globally. And you're doing something that's globally recognized, but you're trying to elevate that. And I think that's what is so beautiful to see, but also how thoughtful and deep your research is in reading. I think you know, I think people often think that whatever word you use, and Raquel and I felt the same way, whether you use the word influence or whatever, whatever that word is, like you often just think that people don't, they're not reading, they're not thinking, they're not learning. And it's like, but both of you are, I know the events we all go to together, we're always learning from other people. And, you know, I think there's, there's so much there. So I thank you both from the bottom of my heart for trusting me, for being in my life. I thank Raquel for bringing us together and surprising us all today and also creating that added piece of uh, depth that we all got to uncover. But uh, I, I hope we get to have many more of these conversations. I hope you will come back on the podcast in the future. I hope that Simi Hayes Beauty has the most uh, incredible and successful first 12 months and beyond. Thank you uh, so thank you. much. And uh, I hope that you keep serving and making a difference through everything you do. You're both lights in this world and you're making such an impact through everything you touch. And I'm fully behind the fundraiser. So however I can get involved, please let me know. I'd love to be a part of it as well. So thank you thank so, you so much. much for having us. Yeah. Thank you guys. And thank you everyone who's listening. Yes. Thank you to everyone who's been listening. <laughs> who's and watching. made it this far down the podcast. They have. They've made it. Uh, Simi and Ace, please. We love you. <laughs> we do. Oh, do. Yeah, you tell them. You tell them. You tell them that you love them. That would mean a lot more. <laughs> But no, I want to thank everyone who's been listening and watching. I know you made it this far because you're an amazing community. Please, anything that Simeon Hayes shared that stood out to you, that resonated with you, I'd love for you to tag them on Instagram and post it. I want them to feel the love from this episode. So if you love me, if you love On Purpose and you loved anything they said today, please share that, tag them. I want them to see what resonated with you because they've been so kind to us today and opening up and sharing their story and sharing their journey. I want them to know what an impact it had on your life. So thank you everyone for listening and watching and we'll be back soon. If you want even more videos just like this one, make sure you subscribe and click on the boxes over here. I'm also excited to let you know that you can now get my book, Think Like a Monk from thinklikeamonkbook.com. Check below in the description to make sure you order today.